0: Well, hey, y'all, this is Sloane Spencer. You found us at our new podcast, One Hit History. It's where we talk with music people about their favorite one hit wonders. Well, we're using the term hit really loosely and we're using the term favorite pretty loosely and we've come across some incredible songs. Got a wonderful guest with us today, M. Lockwood Porter, a number of fantastic records that you can check out at his website, mlockwoodporter.com, or of course, our favorite band, Camp. Got a fifth album on the way in 2022. I want to hear more about that. Hello.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: I'm great. How are you doing? Doing great. What's up with this next record?
1: You know, it's becoming a little bit of a cliche at this point, but it's one of those lockdown records. Like so many other musicians, I found myself with a lot of time on my hands uh, over the last year and a half, two years or so. And yeah, so for this one, you know, I just did a lot of recording at home. Uh, which I hadn't really done very much before on uh, my previous records. You know, it was usually pretty live in the studio with a band. But this one, I rushed up on my engineering skills and uh, bought some microphones and working on songs throughout the lockdown and got them polished down. Got about 10 that I that I really like and started recording those on my own and then actually uh, sent them to, to John Moreland to uh, kind of, help out with some production on his side. Um, He did some bass and drums and some vocals and guitar and stuff on it, too. And actually, um, he's going to be mixing it as well.
0: Well, that's big news. And I only knew some of those details. So that's very exciting to hear. Those of y'all who are new to our podcast and aren't familiar with my previous podcast, Country Fried Rock, you definitely need to know M. Lockwood Porter's musical catalog. I definitely suggest that *Communion in the Ashes was the most recent full length. But great, great songs. And John Moreland, of course, a brilliant songwriter. But what a lot of folks may not realize is his multi-instrumental expertise and his home recording expertise and his production and mixing yeah. as well. I think he's actually recording his own record right now, too. Yeah, he's
1: in the studio right now, which is really exciting. In the Throws and High on Tulsa Heat, you know, he did pretty much all of the engineering on that and played drums and bass. He's, he, you know, he's kind of his own rhythm section on those albums and they just sound fantastic. So, I mean, you can't really... Can't do much better than that,
0: well, and I'm excited to hear what this brings to your record as you've had a lot of different experiences in recording, and you know when you're coming to a fifth full length record, it's like on the one hand you know what you do and you know what you do well, and on the other hand, it's like everything about the last year and a half or so has been so not normal, yeah that there's always that influence,
1: yeah, definitely, yeah I mean just working so so much on my own and then sending the you know obviously sending the tracks to John, but in the past, my process has been very collaborative with my band, and it's been, you know, the same band since the beginning, kind of adding members on. So it was pretty different to be flying solo for this one so much. In my mind, it's kind of like like when Tom Petty started making, he made like uh, Full Moon Fever, you know, without mm-hmm. the Heartbreakers name attached right. to it. In my head, that was kind of like what I was doing, you know, like with John Moreland as my Jeff Lynne,
0: I totally get yep. I get the vibe. I get all of it. Keep your eyes out for this coming our way. 2022? Yeah. Very, very cool. So this is One Hit History, the podcast where we talk to music people about their favorite one hit wonder. So hit us. What's your favorite one hit wonder?
1: My favorite one hit wonder is Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. It's just a song that I'm sure a lot of people love this song, but I've just loved it for a really long time. And to me, it's like a perfect, there was a period, you know, when I was in my late teens, early to mid twenties, where I was constantly making mixed CDs, you know, for mm-hmm. myself and for other people. It's just like a perfect mixed CD song it creates such a vibe. I don't know. It's just a perfect song. There's no, no notes on this song. Uh, I think they, right. they knocked it out of the park. And yeah, like there's so many cool things about it. Like, First of all, for me, I guess the song became a hit on like MTV and on the mm-hmm. radio around like '94, which yep. you know I was seven that year, and I did not have MTV. I didn't pay attention to modern radio at the time. I was probably just listening to my parents' Beatles albums. I probably heard this song many, at least five years later, for the first time on the radio, totally out of context. So to me, like this is a song that doesn't evoke a specific time period, and it kind of sounds like it could have come out any time in the last 50 years, really. It's it's kind of a timeless sound.
0: Absolutely, and you hit on so many things. So, side note, I love, love, love this song to the point where I work in radio as my day job, and I have been told, maybe not fade into you every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But nonetheless, so it's a fascinating song in a lot of different ways. And I also was not familiar with it when it first came out in 94. I was leading the adult lifestyle where you are working a full time job going to school four nights a week and then working at the mall on the weekends. So like I have this whole gap of music in the 90s that like, I never heard, never heard it. And I've talked about this in over the years in many ways. But it means I didn't come to this song until maybe 10 years ago. This is a new to me song in a lot of ways, which is hilarious Mm -hmm. because I love it so much. But Mazzy Star as a band is really interesting as well. I also was not familiar with them other than this one song. And I mean, this is their only hit, but like I wasn't familiar with where they came from and how all this happened. So it's interesting that for both of us, it's not only a one hit wonder, but it's also kind of a, out of context song that really does speak to both of us and it does have that timeless feel and the the sound and the production specifically really leads to that. If y'all are not familiar with Mazzy Stars Fade Into you pull it up right away and listen real fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, the production is perfect. This song does what? As someone making records, it's like what you always want to do when you're mm. when you're producing a song, which is You're taking like a few simple elements like drums, acoustic guitar, slide guitar, piano, tambourine, vocal, and you put them all together and all of a sudden it's like one instrument. It's Mm -hmm. one bed of sound where you can sit there and pick out the individual instruments, but Mm -hmm. it's so much more than the sum of the individual parts. It's, It's like this, you know, this wall of sound. It feels like a big warm blanket. Um,
0: oh good analogy wall of sound in like a very delicate enveloping way that's a great analogy
1: yeah and it might be the best a tambourine has ever sounded on a song (laughs) like the tambourine takes up so much sonic space and it, it just sparkles
0: it really does it really does I'm fascinated in the mythology around the band that, from my research at least, appears to have kind of developed after the fact, as happens especially with one-hit wonders such as this that really had such a really fabulous song. It wasn't a novelty song at all. It was an amazing song. So oddly, here's how I stumbled into the backstory on all of this. I follow a lot of other music people in social media, surprise, surprise. And someone with amazing musical taste is a guy named Nelson Gullett out of the radio station WDBX in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he has a specialty Mm -hmm. show called Americana Pulse. And he was doing a specialty about the Paisley Underground. And he and I have a Mm -hmm. lot of overlapping musical taste. And we've become good friends over the years. And I was like, Paisley Underground? I have never heard of this. Like, how can we be so aligned musically? And I literally have no idea what you're talking about. And so we ended up with this massive, massive, like face-to-face conversation about the Paisley Underground. Do you know any of this? This was completely new to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think I probably learned about the Paisley Underground at some point in my early 20s, just kind of like going back and trying to discover, you know, the influences of bands I liked. Right. And uh, one one band I really, from that like the one that really stuck out to me is the Dream Syndicate. They have yes. an album called The Days of Wine and Roses. And Fantastic it's, record. It's so good. You got some like R.E.M. and like Feelys vibes. Reminds me of one of my favorite bands, Television, like mm-hmm. some of the guitar work. It's like exactly what you want out of early 80s DIY indie rock band.
0: I was a huge fan of Dream Syndicate and the band Rain Parade, who are both early ones mm-hmm. that, that this moniker of Paisley Underground came around. But I really was not tapped into the rest of that part of the Los Angeles musical scene of the era. I'm from the Southeast. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. like, I didn't get it that they had a scene, let alone anything else. And I know Dream Syndicate because of R.E.M. back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all that makes sense. But I didn't realize that it was a community of musicians and music sounds that continued, even though they were not musically as similar to one another as like the Chapel Hill crowd or the Athens-Georgia crowd of the era. Right. They still were connected with one another in a similar way. And somehow I completely missed all of this at the time. This is, as I say, new knowledge for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's another band I really loved. I think it was kind of around L.A. at that time, Green on Red. You know that? Yeah. They're so good. It was Chuck Prophet's first band, but he was mainly the lead guitar player, not the singer-songwriter. Their album, Gas Food Lodging, I've mm-hmm. been obsessed with that album for the last several months. And like you said, kind of sonically, they don't sound anything like Dream Syndicate or Rain Parade. They're a little more twangy. But yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by that time period in L.A. as well. He also has X, you know, yep. it's just weird to was, think about like people in Mazzy Star hanging out with, uh, you know, the guys in X.
0: Fourth of July is one of my all time favorite songs. So I like the sad ones. But <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. So it, not to get too like, and here's the backstory, but I'm interested in how this happens with bands, especially when you're coming from a community of music people that have a lot of overlap as happens. And so kind of the next wave after Rain Parade and Dream Syndicate etc was a band called Opal who I was familiar with but not super knowledgeable about. And Opal the only reason I knew them is they were on Rough Trade and I've always been a person who follows record labels and sees who they sign and that sort of thing. So they're in the middle of a tour opening up for Jesus and Mary Chain who I also was a fan of. Great band. Behind the scenes they had some band issues going on and their vocalist left mid tour and That's how Hope Sandoval initially got connected with David Roback of Opal was that basically she had been in like a high school band that opened up for all of these bands locally, but not on tour. And then she school was not a good fit. And she had sort of just like left school and was just sort of playing locally in the Los Angeles area. And Mm -hmm. She came on board as their vocalist midway through that tour with the band Opal. So she was not on any of their records, but she was on the rest of this massive Jesus and Mary Chain tour. And as Opal dissolved after that tour, that's when Mazzy Star became a thing. So there's like some overlap of those two bands, even though they're actually quite different.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting because Mazzy Star sounds nothing like, uh, you know, what I think of as like the Paisley Underground sound, a totally different thing. Like, how did that happen?
0: Truly, I'm fascinated by that because you go back to what you know. And of course, for me, you could very much hear that jangle pop sound from the Athens, Georgia stuff and the Chapel Hill stuff had a very distinct kind of retro sound with what Dexter Romweber was doing. And it went in different directions, but they definitely had a regional sound of folks who were musically influencing one another, even unintentionally. But this one in particular, I am totally, totally fascinated by because it was completely outside of my knowledge base and wheelhouse maybe, oh, five years ago-ish, I heard solid rumor from folks who would definitely be firsthand in the know that there was talk of them getting back together and going on tour again. And then that never happened. And Hope Sandoval had that... Hope Sandoval and the Warm Inventions, I think it was, the warm something. Yeah. Hope Sandoval and the Warm Inventions. She did a little some solo stuff, but that I had heard was supposed to continue and expand and have some reunion stuff going on. And it did not. And I now know in retrospect that um, David Robeck was quite ill with cancer and he ultimately passed away um, last year, which is such sad, sad news. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: Something that makes this song and this band so tantalizing is that Mm. uh, my understanding is that Hope Sandoval is is very shy and has stage fright. And that prevented them from touring more and kind of reuniting, you know. Like they had a few quasi reunions in the early 2010s they played some shows in California I know but like it, it always kind of got shut down before it turned into a bigger thing I kind of really like that because I don't know it just adds some mystery and depth to what you hear in the in the music especially in this time now where even the biggest artists have to be self promoting and like yes. creating a brand on social media and engaging with their fans wasn't it kind of nice when you could just have like a really shy a uh, wallflower type person putting music out there that got really huge. I mean, I relate to being that kind of person in many ways. And I relate to the kind of art that kind of person is going to make mm-hmm. a little more than the, the person that is like, oh, great, I get to put myself out there 24-7 on, on social media. <laughs> like, I just feel like you're going to inherently have a different view of the world and a different way of seeing things.
0: Oh, Yeah. You are speaking deeply to me here. And as (laughs) I joke, I always say I went into radio for a reason. I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I didn't want to have my face out there. And personally, all of my creative energy gets transferred through the microphone. And then I want to shut it off. Yeah. For folks who have not met me face to face, I'm pretty reserved. Like, And it's not cold. It's just that in terms of personality, like I love sticking it all into the microphone, and then I love yeah. being done.
1: Yeah, it's like like that. That's why I started writing songs is because I have this stuff I want to express, and this is the way I feel comfortable expressing it. But mm-hmm. now, now I need to express it all these other ways as well. That doesn't work that well for me.
0: Such the necessary beast for all of us at this particular yeah. moment in the world, and. I personally just sort of ghosted Facebook several months ago and personally thrilled. However, you find that there are other social media outlets. There are pluses and minuses, as we all know, but you miss out on some stuff because the one thing that that particular evil empire does well is events. Yeah, you can really learn what's happening. So I have found that I have I have missed some significant things, not that I was going anywhere, but in terms of awareness that I would have followed up on. Because the ability to bubble up events through, say, Instagram or TikTok or Twitter is very different. And So, you know, not to get too much off on the tangent about social media and how it's impacted all of us who are in creative fields. But it's also a massive obligation to keep that persona and name out there that really does directly impact DIY artists in significant ways.
1: Totally. Well, it makes you wonder if a band like this would have had a huge hit today, you know, if Fade Into You would have been so massive now. I kind of think it it probably wouldn't.
0: Yeah, especially someone who didn't want to put their life out there in a real public manner. There is one amazing live. I mean, there are many, I'm sure, but there's one particular amazing live version of Fade Into You that I will link to in the podcast notes because it's such a great encapsulation of how beautiful it sounds and how clear it is that performance is of no interest to Sandoval.
1: Yeah, yeah. I saw, I, might, I don't know if it's the same one, but I saw a clip of her on YouTube, of them playing on YouTube, and she she looks very nervous. You know, mm-hmm. but there's something about that where it heightens the intensity of the performance. because you you feel like there's something... On the line,
0: you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Did you know there are two different official versions of this video? I I did not.
1: I just saw that on Wikipedia when I was looking at it before before uh, calling you. Yeah, you know, many years later on YouTube, I probably watched the first music video. Second one's black and white, right?
0: Like I said, I came to this song much later, and so just in my like general awareness of this song. It's the fuzzy color one with the Joshua Tree stuff that I'm familiar with. Yeah. I'm not familiar with this black and white version at all. Even after pulling it up, yeah. I was like, nope, never seen it.
1: I wonder if like people listening who, you know, were really tuned into MTV on a day-to-day basis at the yeah. time have a totally different impression of this song as, oh, that is the quintessential mid-90s song. Well, to me, this song exists kind of out of time. Like, you know, it could have come out a couple years ago or it could have come out in the 70s or the 90s or, you know.
0: I am a person who is very much a product of the early days of music videos. And in fact, before MTV even became MTV, we had local video channels. We had something called Star 69 in Atlanta before MTV started that frankly was better. It had amazing programming. Certain songs, I hear three notes and I see the whole video in my head. I mean, that's so. Yeah, I hope that yeah. there are people where that there's an association like that for them as well with whichever version of this song.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there are. It was huge.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I can't believe that I missed it. That's one of the things that I'm like, How did I miss something that I like so much?
1: Yeah, totally. I have two pseudo connections to this song. um, Ooh, do tell. Or to the band, at least. Well, their first album, So Tonight That I Might See, is their second album. That's what Fade Into You is on. But they recorded at Hyde Street Studios in San Francisco, which is a place that I've done a lot of work. I uh, recorded 27 there and then various overdubs and stuff for other records there cool to see i mentioned they did a little short tour in california in the early 2010s and i remember that because for that tour they had a guy named josh yen play pedal steel with them, and he played pedal steel on my first album
0: oh well that's cool
1: yeah yeah so i didn't even know that i've been obsessed with this song for years and i was like wow i actually i have kind of like like maybe one or two degrees of separation from this band
0: that's awesome because I'm so like not knowledgeable about who knows who in that particular scene mm-hmm. that it's fascinating to me. Like with the Nashville scene, like I'm pretty hip to like who played what on what record and a, a lot of the map yeah. of all of that. But this is mm-hmm. just so out of my personal wheelhouse that it's like, wow, that's awesome.
1: Well, and it's also kind of weird because like you said, there's such an L.A. band and, yeah. you know, there's some there's some kind of interaction between L.A. and San Francisco. But it's not that close. I mean so they're so it,
0: far it, away from one another, first of all.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean if you're on the west coast, it's still like the big cities you tour are further apart than they are in the east. So like sure. a long drive from San Francisco to Portland, you just get used to doing that a lot. But <laughs> you're like yeah, Canadians. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I don't think of this band as having such a, a San Francisco connection, but I guess No.
0: That's really exciting. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. M. Lockwood Porter, we're really looking forward to what happens with this fifth full-length album coming our way in 2022. Folks can stop by mlockwoodporter.com, find out more, definitely catch up on that back catalog, and don't miss a minute of it. Thank you so much for joining us on One Hit History and talking about one of my favorites, Mazzy Stars Fade Into You. Of course. Stick around, y'all. There's always lots more in our archives. You can find them at onehithistory.com. You can support us at patreon.com slash onehithistory, where you'll hear some bonus episodes from several of our favorite guests. Stick around, and thanks for listening. Thanks to Jacob Fur for our theme music. You can find his catalog at jacobfurr.bandcamp.com. That's j-a-c-o-b-f-u-r-r.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for our graphic design and logo from Keith Brongdon. You can find his work at thinkingoutlouddesign.com. One Hit History is a comedy podcast. We've done slightly less research than your average Wikipedia contributor. We're loose with the facts, and your mileage may vary.